Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Welcome. I was reminded last Sunday that not all students of Scripture believe um, in a pre-tribulation rapture interpretation of God's plan for the end times. Now, I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you are wondering what language is he speaking. But the truth is, among even among Southern Baptists, there is such a wide... difference of opinion with regard to the end times. Now, for years, Baptists have been arguing about premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. That has to do with the millennial kingdom that the Bible speaks of in the book of the Revelation. Premillennial Christ is coming before the millennial kingdom. Postmillennial Christ is coming after the millennial kingdom. Amillennial, there's not going to be a millennial kingdom. And then everywhere in between, you've got all kinds of different ideas, different interpretations as to is there going to be a tribulation? Are we already in the tribulation? Is the tribulation uh, in the future? Has it already passed? Is it really going to be seven years or seven symbolic for an extended time? Is Christ going to come before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation? You know, just all kinds of stuff. And you would think... And, you know, I haven't even scratched the surface on this yet. But you would think the Southern Baptists can't get along in understanding, interpreting Scripture with regard to hardly anything at all. And you'd be partly right. But I, I remember when I was in college, um, and we were going through this in New Testament Greek class, uh, trying to define these terms and trying to work out all of these schemes, these plans. I went to my friend, my Old Testament professor, Dr. Hyatt, who was a, a dear friend of mine, a, a mentor, a counselor. And I said, I said, Doc, I said, what do you think? What do you believe? And he, and he said, you know, I'm pro. Pro-millennial. I'm, I'm pro and I said, well, what does that mean? He says, however God wants to work it out, I'm all for it. <laughs> however God wants to work it out, I'm all for it. Now, the view that I hold, which was the view I gave to you last Sunday, is what is called classic premillennial, or the classical premillennial view. I was raised to understand that from... Uh, my earliest years in church, in my Sunday school classes and the pastors that I sat under when I went to Bible college, that was the view of my professors. When I went to seminary, that's when 
the eggs got scrambled, but uh, I always held to that view because it was the one that made most sense to me. And as I studied the scripture on my own, and believe me, friends, I have gone over the book of the Revelation for 40 years, and I've worked on this, and I've worked on this, and I've worked on this, not to say that I know all there is to know about it, but it's also to say I'm not ignorant about it either. But the view that I've always held and the view that I've always understood in my personal studies and in my academic studies has been the premillennial, the classical premillennial view, which simply means this, at the end of the age, and I don't know when the end of this age is going to happen, I do know it's going to happen, but there is no date and there is no time set Uh, Jesus said, no one knows the day nor the hour, and I believe what Jesus says. So when this age ends, whenever it ends, Jesus Christ is going to appear in the clouds to receive his church, to rapture his people out of the earth. Creation will then experience seven years of tribulation. I don't think that's a symbolic number. Even though there are symbolic numbers in the book of the Revelation, I believe that is a literal number because it it is stressed a number of different ways in Scripture uh, that it is a literal seven years of tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus will return with the saints and he will establish his kingdom, his millennial kingdom, on the earth. That kingdom will last for a thousand years, hence the name millennial kingdom. Satan will be confined uh, to the abyss for that thousand years, and Christ will reign over all of the earth, and the saints will reign with him during that period of time. Following that millennial reign of Christ, Satan will be freed from the abyss. He will form an army that will march against Christ and against the saints uh, um, in the capital of the millennial kingdom, which would be in Jerusalem. Satan and his armies will be destroyed along with all of creation. It will be destroyed with fire from heaven. God will then judge the wicked and the unrepentant sinners and consign them to the lake of fire forever. God will then create a new universe, a new heaven, a new earth. That is the classical premillennial viewpoint of eschatology. That's the one that I hold to. Now, there are those who don't necessarily agree with that, and that's okay. It's not going to mean the difference in heaven and hell for me. Uh, In many instances, I'm like Dr. Hyatt. You know, I'm pro. Whatever, however God wants to work that out, I'm all for it. But in my mind, this is how uh, God has set in Scripture the order, the plan, for the ends of the age. Now, I believe that after Christians are raptured out of the earth, after we are taken out of the earth, if we are alive when Christ returns, we will be immediately transformed, we will be translated from this mortal, physical flesh into immortal, we'll have an immortal, uh, spiritual, physical, yes, but spiritual body immediately transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Those who have died in Christ Jesus will rise up out of their graves and they will have an immortal, glorified, eternal body 
uh, just like we will have, that will not be subject to, to sin, it will not be subject to disease, it will not be subject to aging, it will not be subject to death, uh, it will be immortal, and it will be just as Christ is in glory this very moment. We will be raptured out of the earth, while creation then is subject to the seven years of tribulation, we will face Jesus at his Bema seat. At his Bema seat. This will not be, now listen to this carefully because some of you are confused about this. You mentioned it last Sunday to me. I don't understand this. So let me, let me just go over this one more time. The Bema seat of Christ. Listen. If you die before Christ comes again and your next waking moment you'll be in heaven, then understand your security in the kingdom of God is sure. It'll never change. You cannot change your destiny. God has promised your destiny will not change. If you die in your next waking moment, you're in the glorious kingdom of God, then you will be secure in that glorious kingdom of God forever. The Bema seat of Christ is not a judgment for sin. Understand that. It is not a judgment for sin. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, your sin debt was paid in full. Amen. Scripture says, and we sang it in a song earlier, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become His righteousness. So when Christ died and He cried out, It is finished, those words were to convey to those who were gathered around the cross and have been uh, secured uh, and, uh, for us in Scripture that His death paid for your sin, paid for my sin, paid for the judgment, paid for the debt of that sin, and that was paid forever. So the Bema Seed of Christ is not about sin. You're not going to stand before Christ and his Bema, and he's going to ask you, well now, what, why did you say what you said here that offended this person? Or why did you do what you did here that you knew was against the, the will of God, that was against the law of God? You will never hear that from the lips of Christ because those things have been taken care of. They have been done away with. They have been covered by the blood of Christ. The Bema is not a judgment for sin. Now this doesn't mean, understand this, this doesn't mean that you have license to go out and to live your life as a hellion in the earth. Knowing that, alright, my sins are covered, you know, and I'm not going to have to answer for them. No, 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 no. There's a lot more to that. There's a lot more that I could say that I can't say because we're, uh, we're restricted on time and so on and so forth. But suffice it to say this, if you're genuinely a Christian, you're not going to do that anyway. If you truly love the Lord Jesus Christ and you have committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not use your life as a license to sin. 
and you will not embrace the attitude, I'm going to get away with it anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do, I can go say what I want to say, do what I want to do, and I'm not going to be accountable for it. Dear friends, if that's your attitude, you need to come back to the cross. You need to come back to the cross. Because there's something wrong with what Jesus promised in salvation, or there is something wrong with what you believe about salvation. So it's not a judgment for sin. It's not to determine one's destiny in heaven or hell. If you're a Christian, you're saved. You have eternal life. You don't have partial life. You don't have a limited or restricted amount of life. You have eternal life. You have been born into the family of God. You can never be unborn out of the family of God. You've been adopted by the Lord into his family. And that can never change. So the Bema is not going to be about determining if you're going to heaven or if you're going to hell. Because again, that matter has already been settled. And it's not going to be a showcase for all that we've done during our lifetime. Again, you're not going to stand before the Bema of Christ and there's going to be this huge movie screen behind him and he's going to uh, show your life from day one until the day you die. He's going to show every aspect, every area, every day, every moment of your life and you're going to have to answer for everything that you did or did not do that you should have done. It's not going to be a showcase for how we've lived our lives. In fact, turn to Revelation chapter 22 verse 12. Very last book of the Bible, very last chapter of the Bible, almost to the very end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Now look at the passage with me. This is Jesus speaking. And behold, I am coming quickly. What? Bringing my reward with me to give to everyone according to his work. In other words, the question of individual rewards will have already been settled when Jesus appears. So what is the Bema of Christ all about? It's about receiving those rewards. It's about receiving the rewards that Christ brings with him when he comes to take you out of the earth. The Bema will be a time for receiving rewards according to the faithful service and ministry that you have given to him and in his name to others. So, it's not going to be a review. It's not going to be a performance appraisal. It's not going to be all of the things that a lot of people have said standing before the judgment seat of Christ in heaven is really all about. No. It's all about receiving the rewards that he has already determined to give you based upon your service and your ministry in his name. So that should be incentive for us to live our lives spiritually disciplined lives to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ by ministering the kingdom, by ministering the gospel to others, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? Say yes. Good. You speak English. 
It's all about being motivated by the Holy Spirit to live for Him who died for us so that others might live in Him as well. And so there are some people who will say, well, that's, you know, that's a very self-centered, that's a very selfish motivation uh, that we're going to receive rewards. Oh, no, 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 no. Because I know some of you. And I know that for, most, for the most part, many of you, when you do something good and nobody says anything about it, you get all sour in the mouth. You like to be acknowledged for the good work that you've done. Right? Right? Yes, you do. Jesus knows that. Jesus understands that. You understand that. I understand that. I had a Sunday school teacher when I was a teenager who said that uh, we, we should never do anything uh, as a Christian that will bring uh, honor and praise to ourselves. It should always be for Christ. And I agree with that to a certain extent. But I do believe that whenever we do a ministry in the name of Jesus Christ, it should be acknowledged. It should be, the glory goes to Him. But if we receive no acknowledgement, then after a while, we're not really going to be motivated to do much for the, for the Lord. And you say, well, that's very unspiritual. Well, it may be unspiritual, but it's true. It's true. He has promised to reward us. He has promised, even the Apostle Paul said at the very end of his life as he wrote in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have run the race, therefore there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord has promised to me and to all who love his appearing. Even the Apostle Paul understood the need for, to be motivated by the Holy Spirit of God to press on to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ by living in such a way that we are laying for, up, laying for ourselves in heaven, laying up for ourselves in heaven, riches that Jesus talked about. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What are those treasures in heaven? The rewards. The rewards that we will receive when we get there. Now, I'm, I've been talking about rewards talk, because that's going to be the subject this morning. Because it is, we talked about the Bema last Sunday. We're going to talk about the rewards that come as a result of that this morning. In Romans chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and 12, the Apostle Paul writes, Why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I must correct a mistake that I made last Sunday as I was preaching. I stated that the words good and bad do not refer to moral or ethical thoughts, motives, or actions. In other words, in this passage of Scripture, the word good and the word bad has no moral connotation at all. And that's true. That is correct. The word good refers to the things in our life that are valuable and beneficial to the kingdom of God. The word bad refers to the things that are worthless and useless in the kingdom of God. The word 
Bad, I said last Sunday, the word bad is kakos. But that was not correct. Because the word kakos, the Greek word kakos, translated into English bad, does have moral connotations to it. It, it means evil, it means wicked in thought, wicked in deed. But the word that Paul uses here in 2 Corinthians 5.10 is phalon, phalon. It refers to that which is worthless, that which is useless. And so I need to correct that. Uh, I, I, I gave you the wrong word, kakos, uh, rather than phalon, it should be phalon. Now you may say, well, what difference does that make? It may not make any difference to you, but it makes a lot of difference to me. Paul said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one will receive the things done in the body. Those things are rewards. Again, I wish to address that this morning. Now the Bible speaks in a number of places about eternal rewards. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said, There is a reward for you, for being persecuted and reviled for his name's sake. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, the Apostle Paul wrote, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So he's talking about the Bema. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ having already evaluated our life and our work. Gold, silver, precious stone, not jewels like diamonds, emeralds, and rubies, but precious stone like marble, polished marble, and so on and so forth that was used in the temples. Wood, hay, stubble. He will have already passed judgment upon all of those things. And then he will give you your reward or there will be a lack of reward according to his judgment. Rewards are also part of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. It's part of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul wrote, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, because you are sons, God has set forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are heirs of God through Christ. Heirs of what? Heirs of what? 
Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. We have an inheritance in God through Christ Jesus. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An inheritance, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So scripture talks about the Christian having an inheritance in heaven. Something that's awaiting you, if you're a Christian, something that's waiting, awaiting me in heaven that the Bible classes as an inheritance. An inheritance in Christ Jesus. Now, what are these rewards that the Bible speaks of? Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to talk about all of the rewards that Scripture speaks of, but I will uh, just simply mention the five that are given to us, specifically given to us in Scripture. They are called crowns. They are called crowns. And the Greek word is stephanos, crowns. There's a diadema, which is the crown of the king. There is the stephanos, which is the crown of the faithful servant. We will receive crowns, stephanos, for being faithful servants of the king. The word stephanos in scripture means a badge of loyalty, a prize for victory, a symbol of honor. In scripture, there are five that are Mentioned. The first one is an incorruptible crown. A crown that cannot tarnish, a crown that cannot wear out, a crown that cannot disintegrate, a crown that cannot be corrupted, but a crown that is eternal. In other words, once you receive this crown, you have it forever in eternity. For Christians who obey the Lord in all that he has willed for them to do in this life, they will receive an incorruptible crown. It is the crown for obedience, for faithfulness to the Lord God in all that he has called you, gifted you, and willed for you to do as a Christian in this life. The individual who receives this crown is one who is spiritually disciplined in life to serve the Lord and to minister the gospel and the kingdom of Christ to others as God leads through his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 9 verses 24 and 25. Do you not know that those who run in a race shall all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable, an incorruptible crown. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in the heavens for you. That is the first reward that can be received the incorruptible crown. Second is the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. For Christians who long for the coming of Jesus Christ, those who live in anticipation of his appearing, they will receive a crown of righteousness. Now, you may very well say, and the question is a valid question, well, if it's a crown of righteousness, doesn't that have to do with doing things that are right? I mean, righteous simply means to do what is right in the eyes of God. That's true. But understand this. If you, if you love the appearing of the Lord, if you are longing for Christ to come, if you are waiting and you're watching for Jesus to appear in the clouds, you're going to live a life that is righteous before the Lord. An individual who is not thinking about the coming of the Lord, an individual who's not living for the coming of the Lord, an individual who's not anticipating that the Lord could come at any moment is not going to give two hoots and a holler how they live. But the one who loves the appearing of Christ will be sure that their lives are ordered by that longing, by that anticipation, by that love for Jesus Christ. And they will live a life that is righteous before God because they know at any moment He could appear. And they do not want to be ashamed at His appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. I referred to this earlier, but here is the text. Finally, the Apostle Paul says, as he writes to Timothy, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, that is, the day of Christ, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. Are you waiting for Jesus to return? Are you longing for Jesus to return? Don't you wish that Jesus could return today? Some of you are. Third, there is the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing for Christians whose ministry in life is to bring others to faith in Jesus Christ. It is the soul winner's crown. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians at Thessalonica, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and our joy. And Paul is speaking to Christians in Thessalonica at this church. You are our glory. We rejoice in the Lord because you have been saved, because we have brought you to faith in Jesus Christ, and you have believed in and you have received Jesus Christ. You are our joy. You are our crown. There is a crown of rejoicing for those who bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. The fourth crown is the crown of glory. 
It is the crown of glory. It's for those Christians whose ministry in life is to care for the people of God. Pastors, elders, deacons, counselors, teachers, ministers of mercy and compassion. Those who go and minister to the needs of others. Those who go and pray for others. Those who go and pray with others. Those who go and lend a helping hand. Those who go and help others rise above their trials and their tribulations. Those who go and, and, and counsel with brothers and sisters in the Lord to bring them out of sin and to bring them back into the way of Christ Jesus. For those individuals, there is the crown of of glory. First Peter chapter 5 verses 2 through 4. The apostle Peter says, "Shepherd the flock of God." And to work, and to shepherd means to take care of, to minister to the people of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, not because you have to, not because you feel guilty if you don't, not by compulsion, but willingly. Willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not because you're going to get paid for it, but because it is the desire of Christ in you to do it. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that is Jesus Christ, when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now the crown of glory is not just for those who stand behind a pulpit. The crown of glory is for every man, woman, boy, and girl who seeks to minister to other people, to care for other people, to pray with, to pray for, to counsel, as I stated, to, to do what Christ in you desires for you to do. As we read at the very beginning of the service, when Jesus uh, gathers together all of the peoples and separates the sheep from the goats and says to them, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was unclothed, you gave me clothing. When I was in prison or in the hospital, you came and visited me. Anyone can do that. That's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the evangelist's job to lead people to faith in Christ. It's the job of every Christian to do those things. And there are rewards for those who seek to do those things in their Christian life. There's the fifth crown. That's the crown of life. The crown of life is given for those Christians who patiently and obediently endure trials and temptations and persecutions. The crown of life is given to those who give their lives in martyrdom for the cause of Jesus Christ. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are you when people say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. Those individuals will receive the crown of life. James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. 
Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Crown of life for brothers and sisters in the Lord who suffer for the faith, who lay their lives on the line. And beloved, there are hundreds and thousands of individuals this very day who are preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are handing out tracts. They are holding Bible studies in secret. They are doing all that they can do through the jobs that they have in countries all across the, the planet to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they're doing that, laying their lives on the line. They are preaching in countries where Christianity is outlawed. They're, they're doing it in countries where if they are found out, they could be immediately killed. They could be arrested. They could be thrown in prison. They could be tortured. To, in order to reveal other uh, Christian cell groups that may be operating within the vicinity, but they are laying their lives on the line for Jesus Christ today. They will receive the crown of life. Now, these are not all the rewards. These are the five that are mentioned, but there are many other rewards that we could talk about. And maybe we'll have opportunity to do that at a later time. But I want you to, to hear me this morning. Some of us here, some of us here will be rewarded for living our lives in faithful obedience and in service to Jesus Christ. Some of us here will not. Some of us here will not. Some of us will suffer loss. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at it, if you will, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Now let's understand the symbolism, the metaphors that the Apostle Paul is using here. When he talks about uh, the field, he's talking about God, God's working in your life. Like a farmer goes out to the field and cultivates the field and plants the seed or, uh, and waters it and so on and so forth, that's your life. This is what God is doing. In, you know, God has begun a good work in you, according to Scripture, and he who has begun a good work in you, what? He will accomplish it. He will see it through unto the day of completion. You are God's field. His Holy Spirit, His Word, other Christians are working in your life to bring your life to produce the greatest abundance of fruit that's possible in the kingdom of God. So understand that metaphor. You're His field. You are God's building. And then He's going to talk about a foundation. 
The foundation is Jesus Christ. Your building is your life. It's the life that you are building on the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Your life becomes the superstructure. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. I've preached the gospel to you. You've believed the gospel. You've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then there are others who've come along to disciple you. They've come along to help you grow in your spiritual life, to nurture you, to help you become spiritually disciplined in your life. So others have come along to build. But let each one take heed how he builds, how you build your life on this foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, again, precious stones is not speaking of diamonds, emeralds, rubies. It's speaking of a building. You don't build buildings with diamonds and emeralds and rubies. You build buildings with polished marble and polished granite and so on and so forth. Those stones is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. For no other foundation. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those are all good things. Those are all wonderful things. Or wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which is built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So the gold, silver, and the precious stones will endure the fire. The wood, hay, and stubble will not. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But notice this. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So Paul is using the image of a temple, a building. And the temple was built with gold, silver, and polished marble and other polished stones. Your life is a temple in which the Holy Spirit of God dwells. You have been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and no one and nothing can take that away from you. However, the reward that you will receive in glory is based upon the life that you lived fixed upon that foundation in Jesus Christ. And if you invest your life in things that are good, things that are worthy, things that are valuable in the kingdom of God, then there will be reward for you when you get to the other side. However, if your life is nothing more than wood, hay, and stubble, if you don't give two hoots and a holler about how you live your Christian life, if you're just as worldly now as a Christian as you were before you were saved, if you're not thinking about the things of God, if you're not taking in the Word of God, if you're not disciplining your life after the truth of God, if you're not ministering to others, if you're not serving the Lord in this area or that area, wherever the Holy Spirit would lead you, however the Holy Spirit would lead you, lead you with whatever gifts God has given you, your life is going to be wood, hay, and stubble, you will still be saved. But what reward you would have received will be lost. It will be lost. 
Think about that for a moment. Let me close by just emphasizing this a different way. If you're a Christian, you are saved. If you're a Christian, you are saved. And if you're saved, you will go to heaven when you die or when Christ returns. And nothing can take that away. That's God's promise to you through Christ Jesus. If you're faithful in obeying and serving the Lord as a Christian, you will receive reward from Christ Jesus accordingly. If you are not faithful in obeying and serving the Lord as a Christian, you will suffer loss. Now, I know there are some people who will say, well, so what? So what? At least I'll be in heaven. And I have a tendency of believing that there are a lot of people who have that attitude. I don't care if I have a mansion over the hilltop. I don't care if I dip my big toe in the crystal river that flows out of the throne of God. I don't care if I can join the angel choir. I don't care, you know, if, you know, as long, I'll be content to be the street sweeper on the streets of gold. Listen, my friend, there is so much more to heaven than just being there. There is so much more to heaven than just being there. Look at Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, and I'll close with this. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and verses 9 through 11. Revelation chapter 4. Verses 1 through 4 and 9 through 11. The Apostle John has been given the opportunity to see the glory of heaven. God has opened his spiritual eyes, has pulled back the veil, and has allowed John to see into the eternal kingdom of God. That's which is still future for us. After these things, he said, verse, four, verse 1 of chapter 4, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Don't forget that verse. Now drop down to verse 9. When the living creatures... Give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by you will they exist and were created. When we're in heaven, gathered around the throne of God in praise 
and in worship. That's what the 24 thrones are all about. They represent the people of God. It is a symbolic uh, number here. 12, meaning the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. 12, meaning the 12 apostles of the New Testament. They represent all the saints of God. So that includes you and that includes me. If you're a Christian, we're gathered around the throne of God. The four living beings, which are angels that represent all of creation. The four living beings, when they begin the songs and the shouts of praise and glory and worship to God, every Christian gathered around God's throne will bow before Him and give to Him His or her crown in worship and in praise. Everyone will have eternal life. Every Christian will have eternal life. Everyone will have a place in heaven. Everyone will have a spot around the throne of God. But not everyone will have a crown of reward to give to the Lord that he or she could have had if they had lived their life for Christ. Your life is God's gift to you. My Old Testament professor in seminary, who was also a dear friend of mine and a mentor, your life is God's gift to you. What you make of it is your gift to God. He has given you salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ. He has given you gifts to be used in ministry. He gives you opportunities day in and day out for you to minister in the name of Jesus. When you get to heaven, you will have a place around the throne of God. And whatever reward you have received from the Lord, you will have the opportunity to give it back to God. But woe will be that broken heart in heaven who has a place around the throne but has no crown of reward to give back to the Lord who gave them the gift of life. I pray that all of us will do our utmost for His highest in honor and in praise by living for Him who died for us and rose again and is coming back to take us home to be with Him. Let's stand together in song and in prayer. David? Mm -hmm. And as we go into the week, may we take what Pastor said. It all begins with turning our eyes on Jesus. It all starts there as we sing. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and light more abundant.
Father, thank you for Jesus, whom I pray has made a great difference in all of our lives, that we would live for him, that we would seek to serve him, that we would desire to share his gospel and his kingdom with those who have yet to hear. Thank you for Jesus. Amen who through his death on the cross gave us life in him. Life that is abundant. Life that is eternal. Life that is free for the asking. Thank you for Jesus who rose from death to seal that salvation that cannot be taken away that cannot be corrupted that cannot be altered but is eternal secure in the life of everyone who believes thank you for Jesus Amen. who's coming again to receive us unto himself that where he is there we will be forever I pray as we go from this house we will go with renewed joy renewed vigor, and a renewed determination to live for Jesus, to bring honor and glory to his name, and to bring others to faith and to fellowship in him. This I ask in our Lord's holy and precious name and all of God's people said. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.